Well, today, as we start this message series, I have titled this message, Choose Your Chains. And today, if we could just agree for the next few weeks that we are all going to buckle up and we're going to strap in because this series might just get a little bumpy and might just get a little bit blunt and in your face. Today, as we get started, I want you to say two things with me out loud. I know whether you're in your apartment or your home, wherever you are, I know this can be a little bit awkward, especially if you're watching with someone else who's not watching right now, but I want you to say something with me. The first thing I want you to say is I can do whatever I want. Let's just all say that nice and big and loud and proud and defiant because we're free and we're Americans and we can say this. Let's all say I can do whatever I want on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And now the second thing that I want us all to say together is just going to be just as fun. I shouldn't do everything I want. Let's all say that again. This is probably going to be a little bit less exciting for everyone to say, but on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. I shouldn't do everything I want. Like I said, we're all going to buckle in and strap in because it might just get a little bit bumpy over the next couple weeks. Here's the, here's the thing. This series is called Restraints. And as we get started today, I want to share with you our working definition for what we talk about when we're talking about restraints. See, a restraint is a system designed to restrict an individual's freedom in order to protect the individual or others. Let me say that again. A restraint is a system designed to restrict an individual's freedom in order to protect the individual or others. Now, we're all familiar with certain types of restraints across across the course of our life. Chances, if you were ever a baby, chances are pretty darn high that at some point along the way, your parents used a certain, one type of restraint on you. They definitely used at some point along the way a car seat, unless you're one of those people who's like, you know what? I grew up, I was riding in the front seat in the middle with my feet on the hump and we were you know, driving down I whatever. Like, no, unless your parents were those parents, you grew up with a certain type of restraint called a car seat. At, at, at other points of your life, it, when you weren't in the car, when you were moving around, when you're walking around parks, when you're walking around your neighborhood, you grew up riding around in a stroller. And when you were at home or when you were at a restaurant eating, you had another type of restraint called a high chair. See, these are all types of restraints that we use with small children because children are small and vulnerable. And because they're small and vulnerable, we are willing to restrict their freedom and the range of motion in order to protect them and in order to protect them sometimes from themselves. We often see other types of restraints used with dogs or with pets. If you go to our local farmer, farmer's market on any given Saturday, you will see pet owners walking around with their, with their dogs or with their cats, I guess, on leashes because, because that's a, a way that we restrict and that we restrain our pets and our animals from doing things that we don't want them to do, from getting into places that they shouldn't get. Um, and sometimes you'll actually even see parents using leashes on their children, which is a whole different situation and a whole different scenario that I used to judge, but I now totally understand. Um, other, other pet owners have a different type of restraint on their property. It's called an electric fence around the border of the property. It allows, it allows plenty of freedom within the perimeter, but sends a small shock to the animal to remind them not to cross the line, not to cross the boundary. Again, again, we, we do these things and other similar things because pets are smaller. They're not as intelligent as human beings. Sorry, all of you who think that having a, you know, a dog is like having a human child. I guarantee you it's not. We do these things because they're not as intelligent as human beings. They're vulnerable in streets or because they have, they have, could harm someone in an unfamiliar setting. So out of love, we restrain them and we restrain them at times. We restrain them from, from doing what, whatever they want to do. And the most unfortunate version of restraints that we all know about is the restraints used by law enforcement when a person gets out of control or becomes dangerous under the influence of a substance or a person becomes violent. 
When a, person, when, a, when a person crosses the line, we have decided as a society that that person needs to be restrained so that they don't hurt someone, don't hurt someone again, or don't hurt themselves. Now, here's what most of us think. Here's what most of us think. Restraints are a good thing for people who need restraints. Restraints are a good thing for those who need restraints. Restraints are a great thing for people who need some restraining. Restraints are great for small children. They need restraints because they're small and they're vulnerable. Restraints are great for pets. They have instincts that aren't wise and they tend to wander into difficult or uncertain situations. And violent people need restraints because they have hurt people and they might just do it again. So restraints are a great thing for people who need restraints. But I want to suggest today, and I want to kind of talk about for the next few weeks, is, is this simple idea that everyone is a person who needs restraints. That everyone is a person who needs restraints. That you are a person who needs restraints. That I am a person who needs restraints. That every single one of us, that your children, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your, the, your, your neighbors, that every single person that lives and breathes needs restraints. That you may not need a car seat, you may not need a leash, and hopefully you will never require handcuffs. But in your life and in your time management and in your relationships and in your finances, you need some sort of systems designed to restrict your freedom in order to protect you and in order to protect others. Now, what makes this whole idea something really worth paying attention to is, is where it comes from. Because, because I didn't come up with this. This, this is actually like, a, this, is a, this is really a God thing. And, 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 but it's not a God thing in the normal, normal way that we would think about God and the word restraints. Because the normal way we would think about God and restraints is that, well, of course God would want people to use restraints because God's all about limiting people's freedom and not having people do whatever they want. And God doesn't want people to have fun. And we, we kind of think about God that way. But this is actually a God thing because God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free and God wants me to be free so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for your sin and your shame and your guilt and your past. He did that so that you could actually be free of all of that. But he doesn't want you to then get, turn around and give away the freedom that he bought at the cross. He wants you to know how to live with and maintain your freedom. And so in the New Testament, one of the most interesting dynamics at play uh, across the early church is that you have a whole lot of people being told Christ has set you free while living in a context where they were absolutely not free, where freedom was an incredibly foreign concept to just about everyone who was reading the gospel message and hearing the gospel message and being told that Jesus has set you free. The context that they lived in, none of them were free and none of them had ever really experienced freedom. They were ruled by Rome. They were conquered by Rome. There, was, there were people who would literally come and wipe out your city or take away your family if you crossed the line. So you were, in the context they would lived in was absolutely not free, but now they were being told, you are free in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, as, as he writes letters to the early church, and he writes letters to the New Testament church, and as he writes letters to these churches that he actually began, he, he wants people to understand that you are absolutely free in Christ. You are free in Christ. What Christ has done is enough to set you and enough to set me free from everything that we, have, that we have ever experienced. But he also wants to make sure that these people who have never experienced freedom before, that these people would understand how to stay free, that they would understand how to use their freedom, that they would understand that, the, that their freedom is not just for themselves and not so that they can do whatever that they want, but that they actually have a responsibility with their freedom to keep themselves 
free. And so in a, in a letter to the, the Corinthian church and a letter to the Galatian church, Paul writes and echoes two, one really big thought across two different letters. And this is actually kind of familiar throughout Paul's writing. But in these two specific letters, Paul gets right to the point. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. He says, you say, I am allowed to do anything. Then he says, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, he says, but someday God will do away with both of them. See, Paul's, Paul's writing here is incredibly strong. Paul confronts that thing that's in you and that thing that's in me that says, oh, well, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I can do anything I want. If I have a desire to do something, well, I'm a good person. So since I'm a good person and I want to do this thing, this thing must be good and would not cause harm for me, wouldn't cause harm for anyone else. This is a good thing because I'm a good person and I would desire good things. I'm a good person. I can do whatever I want. I can do anything I want. I am free. And what Paul is saying, he says, yes, you can do anything you want. You can do whatever you want. With your freedom, you can do whatever you want and you can do anything you want. You can do whatever you want. But what Paul says is simply this, that can and should are different. That can and should are different. And they're different words, so we know that they're different. But these are different things that simply because you can do something doesn't mean you should do everything you want to do. So yeah, you can do anything you want, but should you? Yeah, you can meet any desire that you have, but should you meet every desire that you have? Yeah, you can entertain any and every thought that comes your way, but, but should you? Should you? In other words, there are things that you can do, but you should restrain yourself from. And interestingly, Paul gives some specific restraints that, that he used in his own life and that he was trying to encourage the Corinthian believers to adopt in their lives. The first one was that if you desire it, but what you desire is not good for you, you should restrain yourself from doing that thing. If, 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 what, you, if what you want to do is not good for you, Paul says, like, look, at you, I'm, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial for me, and not everything is good for me. If what you want to do is not good for you, you should, you should build some restraint in your life to keep you from doing that very thing that is not good for you. The second one is if you desire something, but that thing could enslave you, that thing could become your master, you should restrain yourself from the thing that you desire. If, it, it, you know, like he says, look, you know, I, I can do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything. Because if, if, if you could do it and, and, and you can do whatever you want, but if doing whatever you want would end up enslaving you, would, would leave you with a new master, you need to restrain yourself from doing that thing. And then the third thing that Paul, that Paul kind of lays out as, as an idea of a, of a restraint he is a little bit harder to unpack. He's talking about the stomach and the food. You know, stomach was made for food. Food was made for the stomach. And this was an argument that, that kind of uh, uncovers that thing that, that a lot of us still experience today where we go, look, I'm, I'm a good person. Like, God wouldn't have put that desire in front of me, and it, it, God wouldn't have created me with that desire if that desire was bad for me. God, God wouldn't have, would, wouldn't have, you know, like, God wouldn't do that. God, God wouldn't put something, an, an option in front of me if that option was bad for me, right? And, and what Paul is ultimately saying when he's talking about the stomach and the food and the stomach and the food, and he says, he says look, both of those things will ultimately be done away with. And what Paul is ultimately really getting at is, is simply this, that, that all of us know what it's like to have a desire for something that's temporary that could compromise our eternity. 
And Paul says, look, if you have a desire for something that is temporary, that could compromise your eternity, you need to set up some restraints so that you do not meet a temporary desire, but cost yourself your eternity. And so Paul gives these, these things, like he said, look, these, these are some restraints that you should have. These are some restraints that you should have. What Paul is implying here is huge, and this is really the driving force of our entire series, so I want to make sure I say this really clearly. Restraints are a choice, but they are not optional. Restraints are a choice, but they are not optional. At some point along the way, Paul understood this. We all kind of get this. At some point along the way, everyone gets restraints. At some point along the way, everyone gets restrained. At some point along the way, everyone's freedom is limited. At some point along the way, you can't just do whatever you want. At some point along the way, your choices get restrained. The choice that's given to each of us is that every one of us can personally decide to restrain ourselves before something or someone else has to. That's the option that we're given. We are all given the choice to restrain ourselves so that someone or someone else never has to. Here's another way that you could say this. You either choose your restraints or life will choose restraints for you. You either choose your restraints or life will choose restraints for you. See, you either you choose the restraints in the way that you treat people or people will end up avoiding you and you receive the restraint of loneliness where you have no relationships to wreck anymore because you have wrecked all the ones that you already have. That's what happens when you, when you choose no restraints in the way that you treat people, in the way that you talk to people. You end up in a place where, you are filled, where your life is surrounded by the restraint of loneliness, and there are no relationships anymore to ruin. You either choose restraints for yourself or a legal system will choose them for you. If you live a life that says, I can do whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, I'm gonna do whatever I want, I'm gonna do whatever I want, no one's gonna tell me what to do, no one's gonna tell me how, where to go, no one's gonna tell me how to talk to people, no one's gonna talk, tell me how to treat people, eventually, eventually, a life lived fulfilling every desire that you ever have will always end up being restrained by a legal system. And then the, the other thing that we know is true is that you either choose restraints for yourself or you'll find yourself someday bound by the very thing that you currently view as an expression of your freedom. That you either choose a restraint for yourself or someday you may very well find yourself bound by the thing that you, right now you view as an expression of your freedom. So think, think of some of the examples of this that we've become all too familiar with throughout, throughout the, the course of life and throughout the, the course of society and people that you know and people that you've cared about. I mean, th this, this is the teenager who starts smoking because smoking is cool and they're rebelling and no one's going to tell them what to do, right? And so, and so, 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 so they, 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 they start smoking as a way of showing how free they are, as a way of showing how independent they are, that no one can tell them how to live their life. Before long, cigarettes are telling them what to do. Smoking became their master. Cigarettes became their master. You've known people like this. You've known people and seen people like this. You've had loved ones who, this is their story, where they began smoking at a young age because no one was going to tell them what to do. And very quickly, smoking and cigarettes were telling them what to do. They were no longer free. See, freedom isn't having to walk out of family holiday gatherings every 15 minutes to go get your smoke break. Freedom isn't the threat of lung cancer. Freedom also isn't actually getting lung cancer. Freedom isn't having, I don't, I don't mean to be graphic here, but freedom isn't having to use one of those voice boxes because, because lung cancer and throat cancer and all the things that are caused by smoking destroyed your vocal cords. That is not freedom. Come on, that's slavery. 
And, and this happens so often that what we think is an expression of our freedom ultimately ends up mastering us and restricting our freedom. And it ends up telling us what to do when it started out as a thing that we chose because no one was going to tell us what to do. See, again, you either choose your restraints or something or someone else will choose them for you. And so Paul's just telling us what we already know, that at some point along the way of life, you better choose your chains. You choose your restraints. You choose to restrain yourself from everything that you want so that what you want doesn't harm you, what you want doesn't harm someone else, and what you want doesn't become something that masters you and takes away your freedom or my freedom. Paul says, choose your chains. Choose your restraints. Choose what you will restrain yourself from. Choose how you will restrain yourself so that no one ever has to restrain you. Now, later, writing to believers in, in, in Galatia, Paul echoed and clarified this same idea. Here's what he said in Galatians chapter 5. He said, for you have been called. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. This is interesting. For Paul, freedom is a gift. It's the free gift of God, but freedom is also a calling. Meaning freedom is a free gift from Jesus that every one of us is given. And in order to live in it, it requires, it requires that you take responsibility and that you do everything in your power to stay free. That the calling of, of freedom is that we would maintain our freedom. That we're all given it. Everyone's given it. Everyone's offered it freely, freely in a free hand and you can simply take it. But Paul says, look, for every single one of us, there's a calling where for us to live in that freedom and to embrace that freedom and to actually maintain and keep that freedom, we have to do everything in our power not to give it back and not to give it away to something else or to someone else who, has, who, has, who would want to master us. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. He says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Paul clarifies here something, just in case you didn't understand this. Paul clarifies here that not every desire that you have is good. Not everything you want is good. That sometimes those very things, can, can, those desires can come from a place and a part of you that is actually full of darkness. As much darker than you would ever want or than I would ever want to admit. Says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Let me say that one more time. Here's how you're supposed to use your freedom. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. Don't use your freedom to gratify or to fulfill your sinful nature, to satisfy your sinful nature. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. To Paul, writing under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, freedom is a calling. It's something we receive from Christ, but we also have to maintain every day of our lives as we live in this fallen and broken world. And in Paul's eyes, the best way, the best way to maintain our freedom is not to do everything that we want to do, but to develop and intentionally choose your restraints and to choose restraints in our personal lives and in all of our relationships, to choose our restraints and set them up for ourselves so that nothing and no one else will ever have to. Now, 
For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some specific areas where, where I think, and I think the New Testament, I think the Bible really talks about the idea that we need some, some specific restraints in some specific areas across our own lives, that you need that and that I need that. We're going to talk about friendships and finances and relationships, and, and it's going to be great. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. But for today, the scripture that we've read doesn't really like point to any specific area. It doesn't point to one specific path. It doesn't point to one specific segment of life that really you know needs, needs restraints. But I still want today to end off in a very practical and very applicable way of where, where we can all kind of take it with handles and go, this is how this applies to my life. And so, and so I started thinking, and I, and I, and I kind of like, you know, was, was thinking about, about how, you know, as, as I've talked about in the, some of the promotional pieces for this series, that every single one of us has felt this year what it, what it is like to lose some of our freedom and to be restrained by someone and by something that is outside of our control, to have restraints placed on us. Every single one of us has felt like that. Every single one of us has felt the condensing and the restricting and the constricting of life. Every one of us has felt what it's, what it's like. And, and we, and we kind of think, well, the pandemic has left us with very, very, very few choices. 2020 has left us with very, very, very few choices. And I want to make sure we understand. I want, I want to talk about some restraints in light, of, in light of 2020, in light of the pandemic, because here's the thing. We didn't choose the pandemic, but the pandemic has left us choices. We didn't choose the pandemic, but the pandemic has left every one of us choices. So much of life has been out of your control, but there's still a lot of life that's in your control. So much of life has been condensed and constricted, but we still have big moments in front of us. And, 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 and here's the reason I think this is so important. I think for some of us, we kind of think like, well, you know, we're starting to move toward the point of like, hey, we're, you know, hopefully there's some stuff coming that allows us to, to get some of our freedom back and to, and to end the restraints. And I just want to say, I think, I don't think we're done. I don't think we're going to be done with, with, the, with the COVID world anytime soon. That might sound a little depressing. I just think this is going to be something that we're going to be dealing with for a while. And so we better get used to it. And we better get used to the idea that even though we didn't choose this, it still has left us with choices. And so with all of that said, today, I want to talk about a few restraints in light of what we should have, of the choices that we still have in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. See, you need a few restraints in regard to your family. Now, if you're a single person or you don't have a family of your own yet, put replace family with roommates if you live with some other people. Here's what we all know. We have seen a lot more of the people that we live with in the last seven months than we expected to or than we're ever used to before. Whether it's because of working from home, online virtual learning, or canceled travel plans, we have all gotten a good dose of each other in family life, in roommate life, in, in, whatever, in whatever context that you're around the people that you live with. You've seen a lot more of them than you expected to and than you have, than you have ever seen before. And you were good at family, it's possible that you were good at family life or roommate life with the normal doses of together time, but you put you around the same people nonstop for seven months, you have loads of extra potential for friction. And I know there's going to be some family vlogger, blogger, you know, whatever out there that's going to come out with a book and a, and a webinar and, you know, a masterclass where you can pay only $199 to get all their secrets about how they had no conflict and they never had a fight and they break croissants every night and they traveled to interesting places, even though no one could travel anywhere. I know there's going to be that family that's going to come out and be like, yeah, no, we didn't have any conflicts ever. And they're lying to you because what you and I know is that when you're around family or when you're around loved ones or near around roommates all of the time for seven months, there is plenty of extra room for friction and extra potential 
for friction. And so, and so to, to help us maybe not experience some of the friction that, that maybe you have already experienced, to maybe not experience more of the friction that, that you have already experienced, to, to maybe make sure that, that some of the little things that, that kind of been simmering and simmering and simmering don't turn into big, huge explosions, here's a couple of restraints that I want to encourage you in the life of your family and in your personal life as you interact within your family. Here's the first one. The, this, this, is a, this is a great restraint. I will only say what's helpful or encouraging. I will only say what's helpful or, for, or encouraging. Now, my wife would crack up if she's watching this right now because this is not something that I'm particularly good at, but this is something that I have been trying to work hard on. This is trying to, something that I have been trying to work really hard to get better at. And, 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 and as I, what I'm noticing is that as I work to get better at this, family life during the pandemic has gotten better. So one quote that I saw recently, and I love this quote, and I, was, I couldn't figure out who the, who the original source of it, so I'm just going to put it on the screen. It was simply this, knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing whether or not to say it. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing whether or not to say it. See, Paul, in a different letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said this in Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. See, we all know in the context of a relationship, in the context of constant presence around each other, there will be plenty to critique, plenty that gets on your nerves, plenty of moments where you're fed up and you're annoyed with the other person, and there will be plenty of moments where there are legitimate things that need to be talked about and dealt with. But in the middle of that, you can exist. You can exist. I'm, 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 I promise you, you can exist even if you only say the things that are encouraging and helpful. It is a restraint worth having. It's an ideal for sure. To, to, to think of only saying what's encouraging and helpful. Some of you are like, I don't think I would ever say anything. And that's fine. It's an ideal. But it's an ideal that even if you fall short of, you end up better than simply saying whatever you want. It's an ideal. And even if you fail, it's an ideal worth striving for. Here's another one worth, here's another one worth having in your family. I will not cross boundaries on the conflict battlefield. I will not cross boundaries on the conflict battlefield. See, this is something I, I talk through with every couple that I walk through um, pre-marriage counseling. See, you know and I know that for every couple and in every family, there are specific landmines that can take a small conflict and turn it into all-out war. If you're married and you haven't figured that out yet, you are not paying close enough attention. If you have roommates and you haven't figured that out yet, you are not paying close enough attention. See, when, when Jalen and I were engaged, we were talking through some of the, these things in, in our pre-marriage counseling. She told me, if, you ever, if we're ever fighting and you ever call me a blank, I'm just telling you the fight is over and we are now in an all-out nuclear war. She actually said that sentence. I wrote it down. I put it in my phone. That, that's, that's the whole thing. There are certain landmines. There are certain things that all of us have where th these triggers can really kind of set us off. And I remember thinking when she told me that, like, babe, 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 you know, we're both, we both love Jesus. We both love each other. Like, I'm a, I'm a pastoral man of the cloth. I'm a, I'm a man of God. I would never even want to call you that word. And I just, and, and I just want to let you know, Eight and a half years into marriage, I, I still love God. I still love Jesus. I'm still a man of God, pastoral man of the cloth, whatever that means. But there have been moments where in, in the middle of an argument, in the middle of a fight, in the middle of conflict, where that word has been, a, has been pretty tempting. 
And I just want to let you know, I've never once used it, ever. Because I know that there are some words that are hard to take back. And I also know that she knows that I know that that's a word that, I, that, that is a detonator for an absolute all-out war. I will never use it. I will never use it. I'll never use it. See, here's the thing, that you know your own boundaries. You know your loved one's landmine, and you know what will set your kids off to, or, or set your roommates off. And I'll just say this, when an emotionally healthy person knows someone else's boundaries, they do everything in their power to respect those boundaries and to not cross them. So here's a great restraint for you. I will not cross boundaries on the conflict battlefield. Those are some boundaries. Those are some, those are some restraints. Those are some, those are some personal boundaries that just allow you to understand this is a line that I'm not going to cross. And I'm not going to cross this line because I care deeply about my family. I care deeply about the people that I spend the most time with. I want the people that I spent the most time with to love me and to respect me the most. And in order for that to happen, maybe just maybe I don't get to say everything I want and do everything I want. I'm going to set up restraints. So I'm just going to only say what's good and helpful and encouraging. And I am not going to cross lines on the battlefield of conflict. Here's the, here's the second thing I want to talk about real quick. Let's talk politics for a second, because, because why not? Because why not? Because this, this coming Tuesday, we have an election, and some things will be side, decided about our country and about who will represent our country and who will respect our country in government. And this has been a divisive year, and, and in social media and the news and, and ads in the middle of, of the programming that you watch have been filled with attacks and filled with, you know, with, with people taking sides and taking sides against each other. And, and, and it's been filled with all of that. And there's just one simple restraint that I, I would love to encourage every single one of us to take. This is something that has been a part of my life for, for as long as I can remember in, in my adult life. This has been a, a restraint that, that in, when it comes to politics, has helped me immensely. And here's the simple restraint. I refuse to ruin a relationship over politics. I refuse to ruin a relationship over politics. See, interestingly, you could take the verse from Ephesians and the verses from 1 Corinthians and Galatians, and if you apply that to what you say and what you share about politics, I'll just say this personally, I would like my social media feed a whole lot more. I would, I would find it to be a much happier place. But if you just simply applied those verses, if you only said what was good, true, encouraging, and helpful, and you did no name calling and shaming of people who vote the other side of you, Politics never has to ruin a relationship. Instead of I can say whatever I want, maybe it maybe just maybe I mean I, it, maybe I shouldn't say everything I want. Maybe maybe saying everything I want is the reason I feel so divided from the people that I love and the people that I care about and from some of the people that I know love and care about me. Maybe the reason some of the some of the reason that I feel so divided from some people is that I've just been saying and sharing and posting whatever. I want, and in the course of doing that, I've actually maybe caused some of the division. Maybe I've caused some of the hurt. Maybe I've caused some of the distance. But here's the thing. You never have to ruin a relationship over politics. Every single one of us can refuse to do that. Here's the thing. You should have opinions. You should vote. I, I would never tell you to limit your opinions or to, or to not have an opinion that you have. But at the end of the day, I'll say this. The relationships and the friendships that you have with real life people around you 
always matter more and will always matter more in life than who is in any particular office at the local, state, or the national level. And I'll also say this. When you have a need, you will not call the president. You will not call the governor. You will not call the senator that you vote for. You don't call them. You call the people around you. You call the people that you love. And I would hate, hate, hate for any single one of us to have caused division, to have caused uh, to, to have caused the break of a relationship that would help that would that would hinder someone meeting your need because of the way that we acted about politics. You never have to ruin a relationship because of politics. Here's the final one. One more one more area I want to talk about real quick. Let's talk about substances. Let's talk about substances. Because in this time, we all know the statistics that are out there about people turning to alcohol, turning to substances, turning about, about the rates of alcoholism and non-prescription drug usage skyrocketing, and, and, it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal. But um, let's all be honest. All of that was an issue for, for a lot of people, and, and it's possible that, uh, that a lot of that was an issue in your life before March hit, before the pandemic began. Or maybe it was something that was under control in your life and then March hit and you lost control and you've, and, and you've, and you've dove right into that thing that was under control for a while. And look, we, we, we are not the you should never drink church, but routinely scripture points to the value of sobriety and gives commands not to be drunk, not to be influenced by substances, and that if you're going to lead within the church and be a light for Jesus, substance abuse and alcoholism can't be undermining what God wants to do in and through you to influence people for Jesus, to lead people for Jesus, because it might just undermine everything that you're trying to say and everything that you're trying to do with when you try to lead someone to Jesus. It says, look, drunkenness, being owned by substances, being mastered by substances cannot be a part of your life if you're going to lead people to Jesus. And so with all of that said, here's just a few triggers that if, if any of these sound familiar to you, you might need a better restraint in the area of alcohol or some other substance. So here's the thing. If you regularly find yourself turning to a substance to find an escape, you need some restraint. If you, if, if, if you find yourself during the pandemic going like, oh my goodness, things are just so crazy, things are so crazy, things are so crazy, to escape from the reality that I don't like, I'm going to reach for a substance. I'm going to reach for a bottle of wine and another bottle of wine and another bottle of wine and another bottle of wine. And, and, and you find yourself over and over again in the, in the Walmart alcohol aisle because you've tried to escape the reality of life, you may need a little better restraint. If you regularly find yourself after parties with pictures that you don't remember you're ta taking, if you're looking through your camera roll and going, I don't remember taking this, I don't remember taking this, I don't remember taking this, you may need a little more restraint in the area of substances, in, the, in, in what you're doing, in what you're, what you're consuming at the places that you're going to. If you, if you can't remember the last time that you had a good time while sober, here's the thing, I, I, this, this, is, this is difficult to talk about and difficult to hear, but and for, for some of you, this may be very challenging. This may sound like I'm really getting in your face, but for some of you, this is a reality that, that you can't remember the last time that you had a good time while you were sober. And if, and if that's true for you, you probably need a little better restraint, a little better personal restraint when it comes to the area of alcohol or, the, or, or, or other substances. But Paul, who, who wrote this, this previous thing that we read about only saying what's helpful or encouraging, that same Paul who believed in only saying what was helpful and encouraging, he wrote something that he believed to be helpful and encouraging. He said this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. In other words, if you are out of control with substances, you will ruin your own life and you need some restraint. And then he said this, instead, 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Paul knew that Jesus offers better than any substance ever could. That Jesus doesn't offer an escape from reality. He gives you the strength to face reality. Jesus offers joy that outdoes any buzz or any high. And God knows that a sober-minded, Jesus-centered life is filled with more joy than any life without Jesus, but full of substances, and actually remembers the, the joy doesn't just have pictures of, of happiness. See, Jesus offers better than any substance, and the goodness that he offers is worth exercising a little bit of restraint. So maybe you need to develop a little bit more restraint. Maybe you need to make a personal choice in the area of alcohol or some other substance that would just say, you know what? This is my limit. I refuse to cross this line because I refuse to be mastered by anything. Now, as, as we close, we previously read you know, part of Galatians 5 where you know, Paul said, don't use your freedom to, to satisfy the sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. At the end of Galatians 5, Paul wrote something else, that if you choose that path, here's where you end up. And here's what he said. In verse 22 of chapter 5, he said this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Imagine with me for a second. Imagine with me for a second that your life and your relationships and your marriage and your singleness and your finances and your career, that they were all marked by that that they are all marked by self-control, marked by self-restraint, marked by, I'm a person who, even though I can do whatever I want, I'm not just going to do whatever I want, say whatever I want, go wherever I want. I'm not going to do whatever I want because I know on the other side of whatever I want, it's possible that there's some harm done to other people. But if I stay on the side of self-restraint, my life could be marked by goodness and joy and love and peace and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness. And when, I, when my life is marked by those things, I never need the law to do anything to me. I never need the law to do anything for me. I never need a law to restrain me. And you never find yourself bound by the things that you once thought were symbols of your freedom. Here's the, here's the, here's the last thing I want to say. When you allow Christ to choose your restraints and to lead and to guide your restraints, you find ultimate freedom. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. It's available for you and it's available for me. If we'll allow God to guide us, and if we allow God to help us establish some healthy restraints, some healthy boundaries, some healthy things that we just simply say, even though I could do this, I'm not going to do that because I want to stay free. I want to maintain my freedom. I want to keep my freedom. I don't want to ever give it away. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your incredible unfailing love to me. Thank you for your incredible unfailing love to your people. Thank you for Jesus on the cross who bought our freedom. Thank you for Jesus on the cross who paid the high price for my freedom, for our freedom, that we can know you and be called free sons and daughters because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Thank you for that. And so God, I pray that you would give us incredible wisdom to know what it is that we're supposed to do with what we just read, what, what it is we're supposed to do with what we just heard. God, for some of us, there's something right now that was already said that we know we need to work on, that we know we need to, to push for, that we need to adopt in our personal lives. For others of us, there's something that you're speaking in, into our hearts and our lives right now as we're praying. And God, whatever it is, I pray that you'd give us incredible wisdom to know what we're supposed to do with what we just heard and what, we've, what you've just spoken to us. And I pray that you'd give us the courage courage and the strength to actually do it. God, I pray that you'd make every one of us 
better because of what we've just heard, because we put it into practice. I love you, God. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.